Hi, I'm Adam and I'm excited to be at the Royal Observatory today. Could you tell us a little about your role here at the observatory? Uh, hello Adam. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm Ali Bruce. I do, uh, what do I do? I'm, I'm an astronomer, so I spend half of my time researching active galaxies and the other half of my time I work for, uh, there's a public engagement campaign for the James Webb Space Telescope. I don't know if you've heard that name yet. Uh, no. It's not launched yet, so no worries, you will hear plenty about this in the future. Um, but there's a campaign in the UK to, to talk about this telescope because we've helped build it. And there's an instrument on the back, that part that was built in Scotland, so I work right. for that campaign as yeah. well. How did you get interested in this type of work? Um, way back, I was a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation, doing the Jean-Luc Picard thing, so I already knew I liked spacey stuff and sci-fi stuff. Um, and then round about when I was 10, I went to Florida with the family, and yeah. I had the chance to see a space shuttle on the launch pad before it oh. took off. We did the tour, and uh, there was thunder and lightning on the day, so I'd seen the shuttle get struck by lightning from the bus. And they drove the bus around, but they wouldn't let us leave the bus to take pictures because they were worried the lightning was going to hit the ground yeah. and we'd all get barbecued or something. <laughs> uh, so we stood on the edge of the bus and took pictures. And then it was supposed to launch the next day yeah. and the weather was looking 50-50. So we sat down and me and my brother and my sister, who are slightly younger than me, and my dad and my mum. And my dad was like, 50-50, shuttle might take off. And then the next plan on the itinerary was to go to Disney World. And we all oh, voted for Disney World. Yeah. So it wasn't even up for debate. We just went to Disney World. <laughs> And it flew when it was supposed to fly, so it took off, and that's been the only chance I've had to see a human space launch take Was the weather better The weather afterwards. was fine. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, ever since then, I've been feeling a little bit guilty, but that, that same year the movie Apollo 13 came out, so all that yeah. spacey stuff happening in one year, I was, I was hooked um, <laughs> and got into astronomy thanks to that. When I searched up your name on Google, it came up as long-term AGN transients. And this sounds complicated, so could you explain what it means? <laughs> I'm really sorry, because I don't remember telling Google that that's what I do, so, <laughs> so there must be an article somewhere. But yeah, long-term AGN transients, so fair play for finding that out. Um, I, I guess I should say, a, a transient is just a posh word for something that goes bang in the night, so I don't know if you've heard oh. of something like a supernova would be an example of one, where it's not there all the time and it suddenly goes flash, and oh, then right. it's gone, yeah. and if you're not paying attention, you've, you've missed, missed the transient. Yeah. So these ones, are they take a little bit, well, a lot longer than supernova. So it's um it's a very very distant galaxy, and that AGN thing in the in that sentence, the yeah. long term AGN, AGN short for active galactic nuclei, uh, and that so with an active galaxy, uh, the nuclei is just a bit right in the middle, and yeah. there's really fun stuff happening right in the middle where we think there's a very big black hole and it's feeding. And you can tell if a black hole's feeding because it manages to spit out loads of energy and you can see oh. them halfway across the universe. So we've been following some of these things that are changing and we weren't expecting them to change in the way that they're changing. So that's why they're called transients and I'm trying to understand Have you guys going. managed to get any photos of the black hole yet? Uh, we, that's not the kind of thing that I'm good at. But yeah, if you work really hard and there's a team that have been able to do this, they've effectively had a telescope the size of planet Earth by stitching together data from all over the place. This is oh, very clever really stuff cool. and way above my pay grade. Um, but they managed to image <laughs> a, technically a very nearby black hole. Yeah. Uh, and this is good for them because it makes it slightly bigger in the detector but they is still it? needed this massive telescope to see it so the ones I'm looking at way further away so um, when the universe was only half its age the light's been travelling for billions of years to get to yeah. the detector so um, these are just tiny tiny blobs and will always ever be this <laughs> even with a telescope the size of planet earth so yeah our images aren't as pretty <laughs> yeah are there any scientists that inspire you in your research ah uh, that's a 
excellent question. Um, one of my favourites, he's not with us anymore, but uh, called Carl Sagan. I don't know if you've ever heard of Carl no. Sagan. He's famous because of speeches like he wrote one called the Pale Blue Dot speech, and you can find it on YouTube. And the nice thing about Carl is that he he's very poetic. So he's yeah. like, he talks about this thing, and he, he speaks to you like he's an alien visiting your planet <laughs> and saying, what a cool place you got here. Um, so I liked his stuff a lot when I was younger. In your area of science, are there any questions you're wanting to answer? All of the not. questions. Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, with, with what we're trying to do is we, obviously we're trying to explain why this very distant active galaxy is changing in a way that we weren't expecting. And that's really nice in astronomy. So you're looking for something that doesn't fit with what you already know or think yeah. you know. And then you go looking for what's different and why. And then what are you missing is a key piece of the puzzle. So I'm just focusing on this tiny little thing is trying to explain this one strange set of objects. And I haven't even been able to do that yet. <laughs> How do you go about answering these questions? Slowly and carefully. That's yeah. the best thing to do because you've got to science it. So you take as much data as you can. And I'm kind of a, an observational astronomer, so yeah. you get kind of two flavours. This is a very crude thing, and lots of astronomers would shout at me for yeah. saying this, I think. But you get some who are observers and some who are theorists. So if you're a theorist, you, you would kind of start with the numbers, and you would run the numbers, and yeah. you would ask a question, and you would try and get your numbers to explain what you might see. And then you can hand that theory to the observers, and then we go out and see if we can match. Um, and I'm coming from the other direction, which is sort of finding something weird that needs explaining. Yeah. So I have data on this thing. So I now need to go to the theorists and say, Does, do we have anything that can fit this? What's going on? And then I, I kind of need their help and I have to sort of dive in. And so you're like an observer. I love the observing. You yeah. Know, you know, yeah you, you don't get to look through the telescope because um, my eyes are rubbish for collecting mm. data. So what you do is you sit at a computer screen and the telescope's taking all the data into the and camera. And you just look at that. Yeah. And then yeah. you're the first person on the planet that gets to see what your telescope just saw. That's so really cool. <laughs> what is the most important thing you, you want everyone to know about your work and why? About my work? It's, oh, wow. I guess that what we're doing is, is hard because, you know, having been a fan of Star Trek, yeah. it, it, science fiction is really good and it allows you to go and imagine all these amazing things, but it's really bad for making it look as if we can take a picture of an exoplanet around yeah. another star and show you this beautiful thing with clouds and oceans and but, like, yeah. vegetation and we'll never have a picture that's pretty of a distant exoplanet. We just won't. It'll always be a blob on a blob next to a blob yeah. uh, and then we're telling you something about that blob. But it is really hard to do all of this and so I think... To try and put that in perspective is, is really important because I, whatever else we're saying, you've got to have that little bit of perspective. It's just yeah. So that way every new data set is kind of like, oh wow, okay, this is a new thing. But yeah, it's tricky. And can I ask you one last question? Uh -huh. Can you tell us about the moon landings? Yes. Oh my, I'm so glad you asked me about that. Um, yeah, the moon landings are amazing. Uh, and I'm going to have to make this a short answer to a, a very cool question. But yeah, we did it 50 years ago. And a lot of people, they see the, the anniversary and you get a picture of the thing on the launch pad and then you've got a picture of Neil Armstrong standing on the lunar surface. But they miss out all of the fun engineering and science oh. that had to happen in between. And so I've spent most of this year running around with a Lego Saturn V rocket going, I saw this, that. Bit, this is the thing that flies and showing just how small the camera yeah, was. And how I saw that on one of your videos <laughs> of you. But, Telling us about the I'm rocket. I'm glad you've seen it. It was the, the yeah, Lego one. Pointing out how smelly it was is something that people weren't ready to hear. Did it smell? Like, it was a small capsule, not much bigger. Like, there's less space than a crowded transit van, and yeah. you're stuck in there for eight days with no yeah. showers. And the oh. toilet facilities aren't so much a toilet as a bag that you go number two in. Oh. And it's sort of, it, but it's 
it's that kind of perspective that changes things a little bit because it's a human story, the Moon Landers. Yeah. It's not a robot that we sent out. We sent squishy things. We <laughs> need oxygen to survive and it makes it very expensive. And there's also a, a, another good thing that's worth knowing. Sorry, I'm rambling, but this is a thing worth knowing. Yeah. The Moon Landing astronauts went so far away. Yeah. Um, low Earth orbit where the shuttle astronauts lived, the International Space Station is, even the Hubble Space Telescope's parked there. That's only about four or 500 kilometres straight up above our heads. It hugs yeah. the planet. And if the planet's maybe one footstep across, then the moon is 30 footsteps away. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Um, so that's the thing I love telling people is just that's how far you had to send that, humans yeah. to get to the moon. So that's worth sort of bearing. Would you rather be the people that go to the moon or the people that helped engineer the rocket? Excellent question. I think if I had the chance, I would have loved to have gone. But knowing that it was so risky and then just about every mission had something that nearly went catastrophically wrong. Yeah. Um, they were really sort of chanting their luck on a few of those missions. Then I kind of, yeah, maybe more engineer. fun to work on the ground yeah. and do the very best I could to make sure that spacecraft was well made. Yeah, that would be cool. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank today. you. Nice talking to you. Thanks.